I'd like to welcome you to Prairie View Christian Church. We're especially glad that you've chosen to spend your Easter with us. Uh, we hope that you and your friends and your family, whoever you might be celebrating with, even if it's just us here this morning, we hope that you have a wonderful Easter morning celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Now, before we get to the resurrection of Jesus, we have to admit that last week, Jesus's ministry ended on a sudden and very sad note. Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest followers. He was unfairly sentenced to death by the people who claimed to know God best. He was thrown to the wolves by a Roman governor who deep down believed he was innocent. He was crucified between two common criminals and buried in a tomb that didn't even belong to him. Needless to say, chapters 22 and 23 of the Gospel of Luke aren't exactly what you'd call a fairy tale, are they? Because in those chapters, it doesn't seem like anybody is going to get to live happily ever after. But of course, the good news of Easter, the whole reason why this church exists, the whole reason that any of us are here this morning is because there aren't just 22 or 23 chapters in the Gospel of Luke. There are 24. So open up your Bible to Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. If you're using one of our chair Bibles, this will be found on page 610. And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take one home with you when you leave today. But before we do any reading in Luke 24, let's pray together. Father, every single year, sometime in the early spring, we celebrate Easter. And sometimes it's cold and sometimes it's warm. Sometimes it's sunny. Sometimes it's rainy. Sometimes everything is green and we see new life everywhere outside. Sometimes things still look pretty bleak and pretty cold and pretty dark. Uh, but God, we celebrate Easter this morning knowing that regardless of what's going on with the weather, regardless of what's going on outside, regardless of what's going on in our lives, regardless of what's going on in our families or our state or our nation or our world, we celebrate that your son is alive and nothing can change that. Father, thank you for this hope that we have, this morning that we gather together, this morning that we can set aside differences, we can set aside all the distractions that might entangle us and just focus on an empty tomb. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your son who suffered a gruesome death on our behalf, but didn't stay dead for long and is alive today. We love you. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Well, Luke chapter 24 unfolds as four different scenes, and three of those scenes happen over the course of a single day. And in each one of those scenes, the confusion about what happened to Jesus after he was crucified becomes just a little bit more clear. Now, if you've ever watched cable news coverage of an important event, unexpected event, live coverage, real time, They'll always talk about how you have to wait for the dust to clear before you can really know for sure what has happened. They always stress that you can't piece everything together all at once. You have to patiently wait for more information, for more details to become available. That's why you'll often hear the news anchor say something along the lines of, well, now we don't want to speculate. We don't want to speculate. But then what do they do? Well, of course, they then start to speculate about what it is that has happened. 
And the problem, of course, is that when a news anchor or organization speculates, they often end up with egg on their face because their report ends up being inaccurate once all the information, once all of the details are actually available. Well, in Luke 24, it appears that we have a sudden, unexpected and newsworthy event occurring right before our eyes. And as we read each scene in the chapter, all three scenes happening over the course of one day, the details of this event become progressively more clear. And of course, I don't want to speculate, but it certainly seems like something unique has happened with Jesus. So let's go down to Luke, our reporter in the field, Luke 24, starting in verse one. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. So we start off on a Sunday morning, maybe not a whole lot different from this Sunday morning for us. And on that Sunday morning, some of Jesus's female followers are heading to the tomb with spices to pick up where they left off with anointing Jesus's body. Now, when the women arrive, Jesus is nowhere to be found. Now, again, we don't want to speculate, but is it possible that his body was stolen by someone who had something out against the disciples? Is it possible that maybe they went to the wrong tomb? I mean, I'm sure the crucifixion and his death, I'm sure that was all an emotional whirlwind. Maybe they were overwhelmed. Maybe they forgot where they were going. Is that a possibility? Well, again, we don't want to speculate, but regardless of what may or may not have happened to Jesus's body, these women are understandably confused. But then right as they're sitting there trying to figure everything out, Luke claims the women saw two very well-dressed messengers from God who begin to explain some things. These messengers claim that Jesus is no longer dead. He once was. There's no doubt about that. If there's one thing the Romans know how to do, it's kill people. There's no doubt that Jesus really was dead, but now they say that he is alive. He is risen. He's no longer here. Now, the women, they do remember Jesus saying something about this. But for right now, their number one priority is to inform the apostles of what they've seen and what they've heard. So as they return, they share what's happened. They share the message they've received. They're met with skepticism. After all, they're just women, right? That phrase, idle tale, can also be referred to as useless chatter. But nonetheless, Peter decides that it's worth checking into. He runs and checks things out. I mean, 
you have to double check what they said, a claim like that. Well, when Peter gets there, he finds everything just as they said he would. The stone is moved like they said it was. The tomb is empty like they said it was. The only clue left behind are the linen burial cloths that Jesus was once wearing. Now, Peter's amazed, of course, but it doesn't really seem he's quite convinced yet. And if you put yourself in his shoes, you really can't blame him. Now, we don't want to speculate, but it certainly seems like something strange has occurred on this Sunday morning. We can confirm that Jesus's body is, in fact, missing, but our sources don't know for sure yet where it's gone to. Well, let's send it back to Luke with more information, more details on this developing story. Luke 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Well, we have more breaking news, new developments in our story. There are now two people, two more people claiming that Jesus is now alive. We've spoken with two men who claimed that as they were walking on the road to Emmaus, they actually saw Jesus himself. Now, according to their testimony, they didn't recognize him at first, which seems a little bit fishy, but they now have reason to believe that it was him 
they were talking to. They're now claiming that the entire Old Testament looks forward to this event occurring, the crucifixion, the resurrection, all of it. They're even going so far as to say that Jesus rising from the dead is the fulfillment of God's plan from the very beginning. They're saying things like how their hearts burned within them as they spoke to this man. And now even Simon, a.k.a. Peter, claims that he has seen Jesus alive, too, even though he was skeptical earlier. Now, again, I don't want to speculate, but rumors and reports that Jesus is alive, they seem to be gaining some momentum. Just to recap Luke's coverage so far, we have multiple witnesses claiming that the tomb is empty and that they've spoken with messengers from God. We have more witnesses claiming to have seen Jesus, spoken with Jesus, and even eaten with Jesus. And those witnesses are now using the Old Testament to argue that this should not surprise us. We should have seen all this coming. Wow. Quite the story so far. But for now, again, let's go back to Luke in the field with another development in our story. Luke 24, verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, even more witnesses claim not just to have spoken with messengers from God, not just claiming that they've seen Jesus, spoken with Jesus, and eaten with Jesus, these witnesses are now claiming that they have even touched him with their own hands. They've seen the scars. They've seen his hands. They've seen his feet. And these witnesses all claim that this was not a hallucination. This was not a hoax. This is not some made-up ghost story. All of their testimonies match up and agree. That Jesus is now somehow alive. But now they also claim that he's given them a job to do. He's given them a mission to accomplish. To go out and proclaim repentance and deliverance from sins. Starting in the same place where Jesus was killed. Jerusalem. So now that we've spoken with our sources... Now that we put together all the evidence that Luke writes about in those three scenes over the course of one day, now that we piece everything together about that day, we are now prepared to confirm that Jesus is really 
truly, 100% physically alive. You see, that's what Luke 24 clearly teaches. That's what the Christian faith is all about. That's why we're here this morning. It's because people like Luke truly believed that Jesus rose from the grave and they wrote it down for us to read it. But of course, what does it all mean? Once we do read this story, once we do believe it, well, what comes next? Well, if you've been with us throughout this sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, one of your questions may be this. Why did it take so long for the disciples to believe that Jesus is alive? Why did it take them so long to believe that? Because, I mean, when you really think about it, it seems like they've forgotten all about the power of their God. I mean, we're talking about the God who brought a man named Adam to life out of nothing but dust. We're talking about the God who empowered the prophet Elisha to raise a young man from the dead in 2 Kings chapter 4. We're talking about the God who resurrected a valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37. We're talking about Jesus who raised the widow's son himself in Luke chapter 7. The same Jesus who specifically told them that he would be killed and raised in Luke chapter 9. We're talking about the God of the living, not the God of the dead, like Jesus taught the Sadducees in Luke chapter 20. Why did it take them so long to believe that Jesus was alive? The God they worship, the Jesus they know, has an established track record of breathing life into lifeless things. This is nothing new. Why didn't they believe? Well, maybe they didn't believe because they had their own preconceived notions about how the Messiah would work. And that didn't involve a cross. Maybe they didn't believe because they thought the first witnesses couldn't be trusted simply because they were women. Just an idle tale, useless chatter. But maybe they didn't believe because they needed a little nudge. They needed some help from God himself. To overcome their own rebellion, to overcome their own doubt, to overcome their own hardened hearts. You see, they needed to see and touch Jesus with their own eyes and their own hands. They needed what Jesus called their slow hearts to be changed. They needed the power of God's word that Jesus explained to them concerning his death and concerning his resurrection. Why didn't they believe so quickly? Well, let's be honest. It's kind of hard to believe. But another question that you may ask. Okay, well, now that they do believe one way or another that Jesus is alive. Well, what comes next? What comes after that? Well, look at Luke 24, verse 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So according to Luke, once the dust has settled, the first thing they do is they worship. And the rest of the story, the rest of Luke's story, the book of Acts, is all about the second thing they do. The thing that Jesus commanded them to do in the verses before. That's proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. Now, what comes next for us? Well, as far as we're concerned, 
the exact same thing comes next for us. Because Jesus is alive this morning, right now, you and I worship. That's what you're here for at this very moment, here at this church. And because Jesus is alive, we follow in the footsteps of the disciples in the book of Acts. Those people who first proclaimed repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. Their mission is our mission. Their story is our story. They believed, so they worshipped and they proclaimed. We believe, so we worship and we proclaim. But there's one more thing I'd like to suggest comes next for those who believe that Jesus is alive. Besides just worship, besides just our mission. If we believe that Jesus is alive, we view death differently than we would otherwise. Now, part of the reason I mention that is that I know for a fact that some of us in this room right now have felt the cold touch of death quite recently. Some of us have seen it with friends. Some of us have seen it with family. Some of us have seen it with people who knew Christ. Some of us have seen it with people who didn't know Christ. And today, on Easter Sunday, there will be more Christians like you and like me who will feel the cold touch of death with someone they love. Some Christians will even face that touch of death themselves. And some Christians will face it specifically Because they call themselves Christians. And while death is still dark, and while death is still cold, because of the resurrection, we know that death doesn't win in the end for those who follow Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Paul has quite a bit to say about death and resurrection. Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We just sang a song that said the cross bids us come and die and find that we will truly live. According to Paul, death with Christ looks forward to resurrection with Christ. It's a promise and a hope that we have as followers of Jesus. And look again at Romans chapter 8, verse 11, just a page or two ahead in the book of Romans. Paul says there, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If you are a follower of Christ, you can be utterly confident that you have life from God right now. And that you have life from God in eternity. Even though we will die unless Jesus comes first. Now, of course, it doesn't do us any good to pretend that death isn't cold and dark and painful. Death is still very cold and very dark and very painful. But because of the resurrection, you and I can be confident that it has lost its eternal sting for those who believe. You and I can look death in the eye, even though it's still cold and dark and painful, and know that it does not have the final say. It didn't have the final say for Jesus, and it won't have the final say for you and I who believe in him. The whole point is that the crucifixion on Friday didn't thwart God's purposes for salvation. 
Jesus's death on Friday was not a victory for Satan. The cross on Friday was not a showing of power or a flexing of muscles for the religious leaders who hated Jesus or the Romans who nailed him there. It was none of those things because a resurrection came on Sunday. And that's what we celebrate. This Friday, I attended a funeral visitation for a follower of Jesus who passed away. Were there tears? Of course there were. Will the family members miss that person? Of course they will. Will the grieving be difficult in the days ahead? I have no doubt it will be. But even while standing in that funeral home with all the classic markers of death in our society, you had a casket, you had flowers, you had people in suits, you had all kinds of stuff like that. Even in the midst of all that stuff, there was still a sense of hope. And that sense of hope was there because of the resurrection. Bishop Robert Barron wrote this this morning. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the be-all and end-all of the Christian faith. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, all bishops, priests, and Christian ministers should go home and get honest jobs. And all the Christian faithful should leave their churches immediately. As Paul himself put it, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, our preaching is in vain, and we are the most pitiable of men. It's no good trying to explain the resurrection away or rationalize it as a myth, a symbol, or an inner subjective experience. None of that does justice to the novelty and the sheer strangeness of the biblical message. It comes down finally to this. If Jesus was not raised from death, Christianity is a fraud and a joke. But if he did rise from death, then Christianity is the fullness of God's revelation And Jesus must be the absolute center of our lives. There is no third option. The reason we worship, the reason we celebrate, the reason we don't have to fear death the way we once did, the reason we go out and proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations, the reason why Christians have been led to the stakes where they would be burned alive and yet they were still joyful and hopeful It's all because of the resurrection. Everything we do, everything we believe as followers of Jesus centers around a cross and an empty tomb. It is our purpose. It is our worship. It is our calling. It's why we don't fear death the way we once did. It is the promise we have from God. It is the hope that we look forward to. And because Jesus is alive, our worship is not in vain. We are not the most pitiable of men. We are the most blessed of men to call ourselves followers of the one who rose from the grave. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we read the Bible and we think about everything that You teach us in your word everything that you've done, and sometimes we just don't know what to say. And this is kind of one of those moments for me. Um, We are just so in awe of who you are. We're so in awe of your character, how your, your, your love and your mercy and your patience and your holiness and your justice and your righteousness, they all intersect And they all work together. And you are all of those things at once in a way that 
we never can be. You are so good, and you are so loving, and you are so powerful, and there's no better way to see that than by looking at the cross, looking at the innocent man who went to that death for people like me, for people in this room. Father, thank you that his suffering was not in vain. And thank you that our suffering is not in vain. Thank you that we have a promise to look forward to that no one can take away from us, no matter what happens to us, no matter how we die, no matter when we die. God, we don't fear death the way we once did. We can follow you faithfully, being confident that there is reward in the end. So, Father, as we leave here this morning, I pray that we would leave here in worship. That we would leave here with a mission to accomplish, that you've given us everything we need to accomplish. You've given us your word, you've given us your spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, as Paul said. And, Father, I pray that as we leave here this morning, we would view life and death and our very existence differently. That we would be completely sold out to you because there is nothing else in this life worth living for. We love you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. What do you think Jesus heard after he ascended to be with God, when he first returned to God's presence after accomplishing his mission, after his death on the cross? Now, again, I don't want to speculate, but maybe Jesus heard something along the lines of, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I pray that all of us would leave here this morning confident that we will hear something like that, too, when we die. May we all leave here worshiping and proclaiming. May we all leave here knowing that death's cold grip is not what it once was. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, talk to one of our elders. They'll be standing at the sides of the room. They'd be happy to talk with you, happy to pray with you, happy to answer your questions, whatever it is that you might need. But I pray this morning you would leave here knowing that because Jesus is alive, you are alive right now. And that you will be alive in eternity in the presence of God. So talk to one of those guys. We hope you have a happy Easter. We hope you're safe. We hope you have good celebrations with family, with friends, with whoever you might be with. We thank you for being here at Prairie View this morning. And we ask that you stand with us as we sing one final song.